All right, let's do it, man. A bourbon and pie, a bourbon and pie. We're gonna sit down and have bourbon and pie. We talk about life, talk about your path. A bourbon and pie, we're gonna talk about that. This is Bourbon and Pie, the podcast about effectiveness, where I talk to people from all walks of life, hear about their journeys and ways they're effective in what they do. And this podcast, this is with my good friend, Krista Pavlakis. And we delve into areas of empowerment, leading by example, authenticity, influences, and what she calls following the dots, which is something she heard Steve Jobs describe once. This recording was done before she became a VP of marketing. And you'll hear about her management approach and what she learned starting from her humble beginnings of a designer to an executive today. So bourbon and pie, what did we partake in of bourbon and pie? Well, we're drinking Elijah Craig and Krista prefers ginger ale with bourbon while I am poured over a rock. And we have some cherry pie with us. My hope for you, the listener, is that you can extract some helpful ways from these podcasts and these ways and means to try out your personal style to enhance your journey to effectiveness. So let's jump in. Krista, I've known you for a long time. Oh my gosh. I know. I was just thinking about that. 1999. Right. You were there in 99 when I started. Been a long time. I know we, we've been keeping touch, and you've made a lot of changes for your career path. You know, you've really done a lot of good things. So that's why I want to have you on this podcast because we're here to talk about your journey, what you've done, where you've been, kind of your mindset and stuff you've been through. And having you here is perfect because it's like fits the profile of the kind of people I want to talk to. And it's not traditional stuff. It's not stuff that people read in a business book. It's not like a how-to. This is not a one-size-fits-all. This is the life and times of, of Krista Pavlakis. <laughs> so, so you can't read that off the shelf no <laughs> so just you know a little background about you know where you're from and go ahead and tell me where you're from you know maybe your path of migration across the country back and forth how did you get here in the valley so I grew up in Ohio when I was little but my dad still lives there and so I went back all the time I still go back but my mom when they divorced moved us to California when I was 10 and I had my family here and I've been here ever since in the Bay Area. I went to school at Davis so I I feel like I've pretty much been here in Northern California Bay Area since then but I always say when people ask where are you from I say I'm from Ohio. So then you came to California I've always been in California pretty much a California girl and for first you went to Davis right mm-hmm. and um, what was your area that you studied in, at Davis? I studied design that's right, because when I met you, you did a lot of design. I did. I yeah. started as a graphic design with you. Right. Remember? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you did wear a lot of hats, though. But yeah, you were a designer. And then you continued that for the most part, right? Or did you stay on that path for a while? No. Because when you were still there, I moved over to the marketing communications side. And then that's pretty much where I've been ever since. Right. So when when you did that and you were coming over to a whole nother area, was it something foreign to you? Something you, you were driven to do? Or was it just an opportunity came up and you decided, okay, this is something I'm going to do? I mean, I think my draw to that position was, as you know, we work side by side with that team. We were all under Liz, who was the greater part of that organization. So I could see what they were working on, just like they knew what we were working on. We attended the same meetings. I think what drew me to that position was the fact that they did, I think from a design standpoint, you're kind of just doing design. And so I saw that they were kind of running things more like soup to nuts. They worked on the messaging. They worked with the product line on the strategy and they worked on the deliverables and they kind of just 
you know, on the launch and then they would see it through to the end. So I think wearing many hats, it got me the opportunity to do more things, which I liked and seeing things from beginning to end. Not that you don't do that with a design, project design, but you're only responsible for one piece where I felt like the marketing communications, you were responsible for more of the pieces. Right. And that helps you kind of see through all the things that are needed to get something to market, right? The whole mm-hmm. cycle. When you're saying, um, you, we talked about Liz before we, this podcast and, and we were talking a little bit about that. Um, Liz Brooking, who is our director, who is amazing. And she's famous for doing the Palm train ads. and The, the Palm 5. Yeah. And others. What were the other ones? I, all the other ads, the train and then there's uh, the, the, well, then there's a photography with the ballerina. Mm-hmm. But I just remember the girl, the picture of the girl from the back with the Palm 5 at the... Oh, yeah. That's that. Oh, right, right, right. Beautiful photography stuff. Just responsible for a lot of great stuff that came out at the time. And you were talking about a strength that she had that you felt like she was a little bit ahead of her time. What, can you talk a little bit about that? I felt like Liz was always very authentic and very genuine as a leader. She would say, it's okay to cry at work. And in terms of other women leaders, you know, I don't feel like there were as many women in leadership roles at that time. So for Liz, I think, you know, seeing somebody navigate that situation while still being a girl, not afraid to show the side of her that makes her a girl, I thought was something that always stuck with me because I had spent some time with other bosses or other people who were in leadership roles, vice presidents, etc. And I would ask them about it and they would definitely tell me you had to play a different kind of game. And I just thought Liz always remained more true to herself in her leadership role. Definitely ahead of her time. So you're able to take some of that, right? Along with where you've gone and, and next wherever you went if you could like think about some of these underlying things about the values that you've carried with you that sounds like one of them but other ones that come to mind where you know that have helped you or some stuff you kind of like build your foundation off of like you know your mindset so you're right I went from palm I stayed in that space because palm went from you know PDAs to phones and then I kind of stayed in that space and then I was just ready for something else. I I had been in the industry. I was frustrated with some things and I felt like I had gotten away from the things that I valued like working at a locally headquartered company and the place where I was at was not that and I just I felt disconnected from the business in general and I just didn't feel like I was making an impact where I was and so I just remember thinking you know I need to find something else. This isn't where I want to be. And then I just, you know, I ran into an old designer from Palm and I ran into her randomly in the parking lot one day for lunch. I hadn't seen her in years. And she asked me how it was going and we were just in passing. And I said, oh, you know, I'm here, but I'm looking. And she said, oh, well, we need a program manager. And I'm like, okay. And then I interviewed with her boss and, and then that was it. And then I made the transition to B2B, which was completely different than consumer and working with engineers and it really was a massive change in my life. I mean, the role was still similar, but it was like learning a new language. I would sit in meetings and I'm like, what are these people saying? You know, I had, it was just like being thrown into like a foreign exchange program. I don't know if it was like this for you at Palm, but for me, I always felt like our jobs were so cool. Like we worked on really cool projects and products and the marketing for them. I felt like everybody wanted to do your job. Everybody wanted to art direct you because 
it was exciting and it was cool. And, you know, maybe they were just developing the products, but they didn't get to see the advertising or those types of things. So I always just felt like everybody was in our business, sometimes too much, you know, telling you, oh, this needs to be like this and kind of not letting you run. But working with engineers, it's a different ballgame. And you were bringing the marketing expertise because they weren't into it as much as, as they were at Palm. And then I've just been in that industry ever since. Yeah. So then program management, then that was kind of the beginning of something new. Mm-hmm. So in that role, what was it that you took could take away from there that you've taken with you now? It all kind of goes back to Palm. I mean, I got my break into tech because... I mean, you knew me, but it came from a girl that I went to high school with who was working at Palm. And I was a designer. She just said, hey, you should come over here and you should check it out. Like Chris and Bill or Bill at that point, I guess. He needs a designer. Why don't you come interview? And then I did. And it's because of her that I got the job. So I feel like I know one of your thoughts that you had asked of me prior to this was, what is your mantra? So one of them I thought was the Steve Jobs line of you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. So basically his point is you have to just trust that everything's going to work out. Like, look, if you just look at that, it's the dots. I was just working in an hourly job and my friend said, hey, just come to Palm and it changed my life. And when I ran into that girl randomly in the parking lot and I made another dot, like it changed my life. Right. It's not like you could have said, no, sorry, I'm looking over here. The path kind of went along the lines of happenstance and that's kind of helped create it for you. You generally knew what you wanted to do is something different at that time. And then this girl came along and then. Yeah. Like one day you could be like, that's what I was just thinking even of you. Like one day your life could change. You're on a path, you know, and you're going about your merry way and then you run into somebody and like that, it changes. It can change that quickly. I think people forget that too. Like if you're in a slump or you're kind of like struggling, you know, you're like, oh, like it feels forever. Like you feel so stuck. Like how am I ever going to get out of this? Because you can't see the next dot. You can't project the future. Nobody has the crystal ball to show you. Sometimes I joke, I'm like, if I could just know what the next dot is, then I would feel not as angst, you know, but you don't. So you just, I think the older I got, the more I realized like, okay, just, you just have to trust it's going to work out. That's interesting because there are people that will say, no, that I'm going to be a VP of risk or something like that. And if another opportunity came up that was outside of the lines of that, they might not necessarily make that decision, right? Not following an opportunity, I guess. And I, I could think of people who told me about their path. And that's why I'm having this podcast, because it's, it's not always a typical path. It's not always a path that they had really planned, which is to your point. So you're right. You know, you, you kind of really don't know. Having a vision, is that part of it uh, for you? Or having something outside of like a big term vision, like that is removing the how? Or is that still not even part of it? It's just more like following this opportunities as they come. So my point with the dots is I'm sure there are people who are much more fluid with their life and leave things to happenstance. Being a planner, maybe I'm not that way, but I've had to let go, you know, a little bit, you know, you can't plan everything. You can't, things have to kind of evolve. So I think what I've done for myself is for like the major bucket areas, like my job, I've made kind of my, my list. What is important to me? What is a happy success? 
successful work life look to me? What are the characteristics that I'm looking for? Who do I want to work with? What does the company look like? Sure, you meet people every day and perhaps you could have opportunities every day. I think somebody just told said to me the other day, like, oh, well, you know, why don't you think about something in real estate with me? I'm going to start something. But, you know, back to kind of my list that I have for myself. I'm like, it's not, I'm not saying no, but for now it doesn't fall in line with that. So I kind of try and use that as my guide yeah. as I move through the dot. Yeah. So then, you know, you're now in management, right? And and how did that happen? Um, we're having this interview because, you know, you, you're, you have a, a, a certain way of managing, right? And you have a path. And I want to know a little bit more about how you got into management. I think it was a couple of things. So I didn't start out that way. I was program manager, like you said, for a long time, as long as you knew me. And then even when I switched over um, over to the B2B side, and then I had a really good manager. I think it comes down to your boss, kind of like in school, if you have a really good teacher, it makes all the difference. So I had a really good manager. We're still friends today, keep in touch, go on vacation together. But when she left, she recommended me for the position. I mean, she didn't have to, you know, but she took a chance and she believed that I was ready. I guess I thought I was ready at that point. And then that was my chance. Had you thought of it before that? No, before that, I was perfectly happy to be an individual contributor, but I had a series of events that happened in my life and it just changed me. What? Talk about that a little bit. So as I said before, I moved out to California because my mom brought us out here. That was my family out here. It was my mom, my aunt, which is her sister, and then my her parents, my grandparents. And then we, they all lived within five minutes of each other. Even my aunt and my grandparents lived across the street from one another. Everybody was very close. But my grandparents got older and they passed away. But then, shockingly to me, my aunt, who was 52, passed away suddenly. And then my mom had cancer and passed away. And this was all within five years. And I think... My mom had a big impact. She was the last one, but I think even my aunt, because my aunt worked in high tech, they didn't have kids, so we were like their only kids. And I just saw somebody who did everything the right way. She and my uncle, they ran marathons. They didn't have any body fat. They were very cognizant with their money and they were always very careful. And they just, you know, if you had to just look at somebody like, oh yeah, they're doing it right, it would be them. So you just think these people aren't spending their money. I mean, they barely went on vacations and they barely turned their heat on. (laughs) I'd go over there and I'd wear mittens (laughs) and eat dinner with them. But then she just she just had a massive brain aneurysm and she died and I just looked at that and I thought oh my gosh like it doesn't even matter I mean of course it matters if you booze your body yes you have a higher chance of something going wrong but even those people you see sometimes live forever so then I just thought there isn't really like when your ticket is up your ticket is up And I just thought I've played it safe and I didn't really push myself. And now is my chance. Like, what am I doing? Why am I not doing that? Why am I not pushing myself? And so I think that was just the catapult of me trying harder. I, you joke about me being nice and reserved, but I have like a side of me that is also fun. So that's one thing that got you to change a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And that side came out more, which I've been, I'm still an introvert by nature, but although that doesn't mean you're not chatty because I am chatty, but it just means you find your energy by yourself, which is true versus other people. 
right? Which makes you an extrovert. I don't know. So it was just that period of time. And then I just decided I just needed to try harder and do more than what I was doing. Like my life was very much in a box. Like it was very sheltered. I kept it more reserved on purpose and was only living, only seeing that part of myself versus my whole self, which also includes this other side too. What do you do with that learning? What do you tell your kids or how do you treat your kids different or have them live along those same thought processes that you have when it comes to that kind of thing? I know. I guess it's good that it happened before I had kids because, well, I guess probably midway between my daughter, but they like to go to work with me. And so if I can, I will take them if they're off. My daughter, she always wants to go to meetings. She loves to go to meetings. She thinks they're super fun. Let's go to a meeting, mom. What? I'm like, good Lord. At what age? So she's 14, but she's liked meetings for a long time. But I also know in the back of my head on purpose, I do it. I take them to meetings where I know one, I'm going to be leading them. And two, maybe they're a little bit more difficult. Like they're not just a team meeting or something that's easy, something that's a little bit more challenging. Intentionally, I bring her lately, not, I mean, maybe like a few times a year where there are important meetings that I'm leading her and my son sit in the back and they observe. So, you know, this, I brought him a few weeks ago and there was a guy and he was on the phone and I was talking and I had a specific question with a specific answer I was looking for and I wasn't getting that from him. And he was on, you know, on the phone on the polycom. And so I kept asking and then I was talking. He's like, well, let me finish. And I'm like, no, you know, let me finish. This is what I need to hear from you or blah, blah, blah. And then I had to leave the meeting because they weren't done, but I had another meeting I had to get to. My daughter says, mommy, why did you, that guy said, let me finish. Why didn't you let him finish? And I said, well, because I'm still making a point. Like he didn't answer my question. I needed to get that from him. And she's like, you know, you could just see like, oh, like, I can't believe like, you would do that or you know and these are just things that I saw like you can't teach like I would never come home and just explain this situation to her she'd look at me like either one she was bored out of her mind or she doesn't care but to see it in action I feel like these are like lessons that she will hopefully see in the future and put them into practice yeah no that's really good like she could model it at some point yeah in that situation were you able to get get out of it what you need to get out of it or Mm -hmm. yeah because mm-hmm. I kept pushing, mm-hmm. you know, and I had to like interrupt a couple of times, not in a mean way like, for time. And then she's like, and why did you just get up and leave? I, you have to be mindful of your time. If people are taking too long, I have another meeting that's also important, you know? Yeah. You have to be able to draw the line. And if people can't manage the time and manage the meeting, then, you know, sometimes you have to make those decisions for yourself. Yeah. Like, oh. So they're learning that way. I, what better way to teach them, right? Other than like, right, frontline stuff, you know what I mean? But you're teaching your kids something there. And some of the stuff that you picked up and, and you know, for, for your life and what you're learning now as a manager, that's pretty cool to see. So on your team, like you have teams, you've had a few teams, I'm guessing, along the way, right? Where you are now, you know, how would you perceive your team right now and how they're functioning and what sort of things that you put in place to help them be effective? So I think the team's good. I think finally, because I've been at my current job for a few years now, and it wasn't the same team now as it was when I first started. So I think now finally, like everybody's in a good place. People are gelled. People work well together. I think my philosophy is I just try and be fair with my employees. I try and be fair in general. That's like one of my values that I have for myself and my team and what I expect and also accountable 
I think that's a big one. Mm-hmm. I expect a lot from myself and I, you know, what I say is what I do. If I say something and I'm going to do it and that's important with the team too. And I think when you see somebody leading by example, to me, that's the best I can do for them. And so I also in return see them doing it for each other. So overall, I mean, I think they're in a good place. Yeah, so lead by example is one thing that keeps being brought up too. When people uh, move up in management, the stigma that's attached to that is that they're just talking heads at at a certain point and they're just a mouthpiece for different things that they're talking about in the company and they're not necessarily leading by example and showing people what exactly they truly value. And I think a lot of that's changing now, but it's good to see, you know, you use the words authentic and accountable. When people see leaders being that way, it resonates it quickly. It can be a lot more powerful right and they're they're showing it and they're not just looking at them a different way where it's like oh well he's just he or she is just saying that just because it's what everybody else is saying and you know it's just something that they feel obligated to say lip service and people know i mean anybody can think of you can think of all the leaders that you've had over the years and you know i go all the way to the top think about the leaders that you've had at all the different companies that you've worked at and even just the leaders that have come through that company you could tell the ones that had that were just giving you lip service versus the people that were authentic and genuine and led by example and you could see the culture for the rest of the company come down from that i think it's from all leaders influence their team that way whether they think they do or not their example sets the tone my level but all the way up to the ceo you can just tell right you could tell where there's people behaving badly rarely do you see a ceo who's not or who would tolerate something like that yep you know when when we're talking about these values you're mentioning with accountability and authenticity and things like that there's also other things that companies are putting in place to ensure like a safe environment psychological safety having an environment that people feel like they're open and also there's a lot of talk about failure and it making an environment that's okay to fail, that sort of thing. Is there anything you're doing there along those lines in those two different areas that you're applying to your teams? It's just inevitable. There's there's mistakes, and it's not even mistakes in a bad way. It's just everybody's learning every day. So things don't go well, and heaven forbid we instilled a process when I started, and we haven't gotten it right. We haven't gone through one launch without it going perfectly smooth. So what do we do? I am always working with the team and drilling with them. Like, where did it go wrong this time? Okay, is it always this? Is it always where we're, this is where we get the snag? And then just keep drilling and why and why and why because we have to get to the root of the problem or else it will will always be in this situation so I think it's just trying to help them and help myself and learn as we go and trying to figure it out it's not me blaming them it's how do we get better together Mm -hmm. yeah they're open about it they feel an okay that they could say pretty much most anything that they need to say Yeah, because I mean, it's not a, did you do this or did you not do this? It's just getting to the root of the business process. Mm -hmm. I think you have to, maybe there's emotion that you have to get through first of, you know, people defending or whatever that looks like, which is natural and normal, but just keep moving through and keep digging to get down to what the root is, which is not, it doesn't have to do with a person. Usually it's a, something that has to deal with the business. Why can we not move this process forward? It's not you personally. Right. That's good, too, because as you do that, it kind of proliferates, right? It's like you can you're coaching them or showing them and then they're also showing others who may work for them and you're building in a culture or a value or something that you a learning environment. And it's okay to ask questions. Yeah. 
especially, you know, I think in different functions in the organization, it's almost like maybe there's perceptions of hierarchy depending mm-hmm. on where you sit. Mm-hmm. Like my organization would be considered support, but I don't like to use that word because it always makes me feel like you're in a like a lesser position. I, Subservient? Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're trying to partner with the businesses to get them to their goal. So even just looking at it like in those, just the kind of language that you use can um, help with the team, right? It can change the perception of how they go into a meeting and how they're interacting with the business team. When in the times that you've gone through your journey and you come across all these different things, I know there's probably some times that you might have succeeded imperfectly. So in other words, not by the plan, but something you actually were able to do with your team or maybe yourself that worked out okay in the end, but as you're going along the way, things didn't necessarily go as planned. I know. I think with my team, that's just not every day, but that's just regular things. Don't go as planned. We have to adjust. So I think being okay with it being fluid. Mm. You need to have that team that's solid because they're your foundation. So when the shit hits the fan, you know that you can rely on these people. You can go to them and say, the shit's hitting the fan. We got to regroup. Everybody roll up Mm -hmm. your sleeves. Let's get in there. So I think my example is even when things go horribly wrong, there's always a lesson in everything. I had a presentation I had to give at one of the companies I work for to the executive team. And I was a mess. Like I was nervous. I didn't sleep the night before and I didn't do well at all. And I knew I didn't do well. And I got feedback that I didn't do well. I spent a lot of time thinking, well, it was the, or I wasn't set up to succeed by my management team or whatever. But ultimately, you know, I think it just came down to no, you know, I'm responsible for whatever I'm presenting. And somebody said it at a conference I was at a couple weeks ago, preparedness gives you confidence and not being prepared and not knowing and being able to drill down. And so I think since then, I've become more diligent in the drilling versus just kind of thinking, oh, okay, I know enough. I try and take more time to really understand whatever it is I'm getting involved with. I mean, it's good. You have to rely on your team members, but I think at some level, the leader needs to understand at some baseline, you know, what's going on, what the process looks like. You know, I'm not a web developer, but I try and understand as much as I can about the website functionality. How does it work? Is it You know what I mean? I I really do try and understand as much as I can. I mean, I want to rely on my team to give them opportunity, of course, but I don't want it to be like, I don't know anything about the topic. Mm-hmm. And I think it came from that meeting because I just, I, I didn't have the information that I needed. Mm-hmm. It was my own fault. So I'm going to ask this question to everybody. What advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? Just trust that it will work out and trust in yourself. That's really good. And that's what you're doing with your kids. You're building, building in this level of confidence or at least exposure to stuff that can probably help them, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you're younger, you don't know, like you don't have any depth of what you've gone through or you just don't have the depth of experience that you do after you've seen different things or different situations or scenarios through work and over time. At least for me, when I was younger, I was more oblivious and I didn't trust as much that in myself or in just in the scenario or in the situation, you know. I think sometimes I think or I did think if I because I would stress about things like 
day and night. And I'm like, if I didn't worry about this or I did worry about this as much, would the outcome be the same? You know? Right. And and it, your, I probably your conclusion would. is... It, it would be the same. Yeah. Yeah. So why even bother? Correct. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to get yourself from not worrying if you're yeah. a worrier. Yeah. And I, I run into that myself, too, with Kelly. She'll get stressed about certain things, and she'll say, aren't you worried? I'll say, I'm concerned, but I don't know what I'm going to learn by being worried. I mean, if I worry, I don't know what it's going to accomplish. So I have that same thing. It is that. It's like what can move the ball forward, and worrying doesn't. And But thinking about how you can do something will, right? So, well, okay, so I want to ask this other question. I love this question, but I don't know if you're prepared or if you would even have an idea. So fantasy football, you know what that is. Mm-hmm. All right. So what if you had your own company? Who would be your dream team of who you'd want to work at your company? Could be anybody. Mm-hmm. Could be people who are dead or alive. Could be uh, people who are fictitious super characters, heroes, whatever. Um, but who would you think of to pull together your company? You could maybe call up the titles and who do you want or just people that you would just want to work with in your ultimate company. Mm, I think my First pick would be Jason Bateman, only because I've been in love with him since he was Derek on Silver Spoons. So, of course, I'd have to have him. Him and Jon Stewart. I always gravitate to people who are quick-witted and sarcastic in a positive way, sarcastically Mm -hmm. funny. Back when he was on his show, because he just was so quick. He's smart. He knew his facts. He knew everything. He did his homework, and he knew a lot about the topics. So I liked that, and then... I would have to pick badass women like we talked about before. I just saw Serena Williams um, interviewed. She was really interested and she was really good in talking about overcoming things, not being put in a box, which I like her comment on that. Probably my doppelganger, Sandra Bullock. She's a badass. She's super funny. And Melissa McCarthy, I've been watching her a lot lately. She's really smart and funny and I love her and all of her movies. And probably Brandi Chastain because I am stalking her. She's my neighbor. She's amazing. She looks amazing. The woman looks like her body looks like she is 20. She trains with the Bellarmine kids because she's their soccer, one of the coaches, and she's a badass. I would need her on the team to like get me in to train me that's that's a good team yeah yeah and fun okay so gauntlet questions these questions are quick questions that you could answer probably quickly you should know the answer to these some i'm gonna ask you really quick what's your tagline why be good when you can be awesome best advice you ever got and by whom oh that was from my boss who said it's important to have relationships with your peers, but always make sure you do the extra work with your team because your team is who you have to rely on to the earlier point to get shit done. I like that. And uh, what ritual do you do daily that helps you get through your day? So I walk every day at 5 a.m. So that's cool. And that's your thing. That's your, your ritual, right? It's like it's how I get ready for the day. It's my time. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit, I've taken a couple conference calls with Europe, like on my walk, but I really try to like only in a dire emergency. Like I wake up, no one's bothering me, no kids. It's mostly quiet and I just get my head straight for the day. Yeah. And sometimes if I have to think of something creative, like I have to come up with a tagline or I have to come up with a, something creative, like I will, it always comes to me on my walk. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Like some people say, 
say it's the shower. It is. I was just going to say it's it's like what same version of the shower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's how a lot of people do get their good ideas. So that's a that's a really good one. All right. Thank you. And I just want to say I'm so glad we're still in contact with each other. And I really want to thank you a lot for taking this time this evening, sharing your life, sharing your journey. And um, hopefully people that listen in will be able to pick up on some of these tips and tricks that you could pass along besides your kids. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Pav. It's been awesome. A bourbon and pie, a bourbon and pie. We're gonna sit down and have bourbon and pie. We talk about life. Thanks for checking out Bourbon and Pie. If you like this episode, share it out, spread the love, proliferate the effectiveness stories, at least for the sake of humanity. This episode is produced by Ron Andrus of Live Fire Productions. Theme song written by Brock Scaresi and compiled by FM Mixmaster. Inspiration has been provided by my son, Evanuski, who gives me the strength to move forward and keep trying. This episode's unsung hero is a true hero, my dad, Jess Escobar, who was born in poverty in Dallas, Texas, where he shined shoes as a boy and graduated to picking fruit in the orchards of California. After high school, he joined the Marines, fought on the front lines in the Korean War. He was a bread delivery man most of his life and raised us with some strict and what turned out to be helpful ways. Thanks, Dad, for all you did for us. Today, at 90, despite having dementia, he's pleasant, happy, and well-liked by whomever he comes across. If you're curious about getting an assessment on your career or creative journey and enhancing your effectiveness, then I have some questions for you. Go to bourbonandpie.com assess to choose a questionnaire that suits your current state. If I see your answers aligned to something that I think I could help with, I'll reach out to you, find some time for us to talk. I'm Chris Escobar, reminding you that pie makes things happy and bourbon keeps it real. And remember, most of all, be kind out there. This is a Boom Boom production. It's been awesome. Or awesome? Has it been awesome? Has it been awesome? (laughs) You tell me. (laughs) No, it's been awesome. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Bye. I don't know why I said bye. I just said bye. You're right here. You're not going anywhere. (laughs) All right. Closing the call. Still, still, it's not even a call. Why am I saying saying closing a call? It's not a call. All right.